the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, a new baby in the royal family. Will people go back to church after the pandemic is done? And we're joined by Gary Burge and David Lauber to discuss their book, Life Questions Every Student Asks. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a Monday, a very Monday, Monday today. Feels like a Monday, Monday. Feels like a Monday. (laughs) I agree with that. But it's a muggy Monday, but we're glad that you are with us today. We talked about the fact that this was triathlon weekend for you. Yes. You didn't do a triathlon. You cheered on your husband. I did it emotionally. So your husband did a triathlon, which parenthetically I will never do. Uh, I would love to know how was the weekend, but primarily how was the triathlon? Yeah, the triathlon was awesome. It was Kevin's first triathlon, but not his last. He's already signed up for a half Ironman, which includes a triathlon apparently here in the next few weeks. So I don't know. He's insane. But it was great. It was in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, which was a new area. Beautiful there. And he did awesome. It was fun cheering him on. You guys went with friends. We went with friends. Lots of Kevin's pastor buddies did the race as well. And so the wives went, cheered all the husbands on. And we had a great, great time. I enjoy the fact. I don't know why I get a kick out of the fact that there was this large group of pastors. (laughs) On a Sunday. Doing a triathlon on a Sunday (laughs) morning. No one was doing their job. Did y'all at least have a Bible study before? (laughs) Okay. They did. Yes. This is actually funny. The guys turned on the Rocky soundtrack and read the Psalms aloud to the Rocky soundtrack in order to pump them up. So it was spiritual. It was, you know, like pumping them up. It was great. Did your husband do, uh, did he do as well as he, I know, like you're not going to win the triathlon. But I'm sure in his mind, he had a goal. Did he do as well as he had hoped? Was he satisfied with uh, the experience? He was very satisfied. And and he'll want me to share that he was of the group. He was the fastest. He had the fastest time of all the guys. But he... um, He would want me to share. He would want me to tell that to the world. (laughs) But um, yes, he was satisfied. Mostly because it was very hard and very hot. I can't imagine. All of the guys were amazing. They all did an awesome job. And it was really, it was quite an accomplishment to see. It was really hot yesterday. My son, uh, as is every weekend now in the summer, I I went to a baseball tournament with him. How was that? Good. Up in Wisconsin, right by my in-laws. So we stayed at my in-laws' house, but it was hot. Yeah, it was like in the 90s. And unlike doing a triathlon, I was sitting watching baseball. Right. I'm like, well, I'm done. Ready to get inside now. So (laughs) yeah. uh, anyway, hopefully you all had a great weekend out there as well. Glad your husband made it through the triathlon. I don't know if he's running from something or this is a healthy (laughs) obsession, but we will. Right. It could be both. Both and. We'll find this out (laughs) as he goes. Uh, But yeah, there feels like some sort of a new ministry there for pastors and triathlons and uh, and, uh, away they go. But uh, that was our weekend. We're excited for the show today. Uh, Coming up in a little bit, we're going to be joined by Dr. Gary Burge and Dr. David Lauber, uh, both of whom were they co-authored or edited a book called Life Questions Every Student Asks. 
Uh, Dr. Burge may be my favorite prof at Wheaton College when wow. I was there. He's now at Calvin. But I, I think uh, maybe I'll tell him that. Let's maybe see we'll if he remembers you when he comes on. Chance. I think there's going to be one of those, oh, yeah. Right. That like, sort of pretend recognition. Yeah. But let's do this. I graduated college in 1999. Like, if he remembers me, I would be really That's uh, true. Really that would impressed. be quite impressive. But, so we're excited to talk to them. Okay. Biggest news. Yep. Hot off the presses. Baby news. Baby news of uh, the royal family. Are they still royal family? I mean, in my heart they are, but in I think heart. they technically are not anymore. By blood they are. Blood royals. Ex-royal family uh, Harry and Meghan had their baby this past weekend. Uh, please describe your feelings about it, including how it um, how it informs your attire. Right. Currently. Well, I'm wearing my Wales shirt, not Wales the animal, but <laughs> like my Welsh shirt because I'm celebrating. I'm very excited for them. And the baby was born on Friday and uh, the baby's name is Lilibet. Lilibet, but it goes by Lily. Goes by Lily, named after Queen Elizabeth. That's right. It's a really sweet story. Actually, we're going to listen to some audio here of Hoda and Savannah Guthrie interviewing a British reporter talking about the significance of the new baby's name. I have to tell you, I was a little surprised by the birth. Usually you hear a little bit of, oh, there was somebody in, going into the hospital, somebody saw this, but there was no indication that that baby was arriving. So they really had that locked down, didn't they? And I think they'll be very, very pleased that neither you, Hoda, or I, <laughs> anyone else knew that it was coming because that's what they wanted. They wanted to be in control. It's what they've been saying for years now, isn't it? That they want to take back control of their own image, of their own announcements. And they certainly did that yesterday when that announcement came that Lilibet Diana had been born, not yesterday, but on Friday. Mm, yeah. We didn't even know the due yeah. date. Yeah. And the name, of course, is oh. a surprise, too. It's so sweet. Um, and really the first time I'd ever heard Lilibet, mm-hmm. but I guess for, for in the royal family, that was a, a sweet tribute, homage to the queen. Very much so. Lilibet has become, you know, the, became the queen's nickname, as Erin was saying, when the queen was a toddler herself and she couldn't pronounce Elizabeth mm-hmm. and it came out as something like Lilibet and it's been one of those childhood nicknames. And we know that it's what Prince Philip always called her. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, on his coffin at the funeral, there was a handwritten note from the queen to Philip signed Lilibet. So this is a very, mm-hmm. very personal nickname. Of course, in a way, it's not really a real name at all. And it is. <laughs> totally synonymous with the queen that's sweet isn't that sweet i hope it's like a little reconciliation moment because i feel like that was really just a gesture that they named their baby after the queen so i i always have hopes that they're gonna make it you you have a lot invested in the reconciliation of i told you i I have trouble with Meghan markle these days in the role she's played i know you do but you know that's neither here nor there but uh, it, congratulations to them and meaningful names. Did you guys name your kids with meaning in mind or did you guys just go through a book and, you know? No, we definitely did. We named our kid. We were probably too earnest with the naming. We did a prophet, priest, and a king. We thought <laughs> through it. We, we wanted to know that their names had meaning. Like we, and every year on their birthday, we talk about why we named them what we did. It's probably too much pressure, honestly. What about you? Did you guys do that? <laughs> we did a prophet, priest, and a <laughs> we king. We did. We literally did. Would you? Okay, I, I, have, I have questions about what the fourth would have been then, because you got all the offices. Right. No, we knew we were having three kids. We we're done. So, uh, <laughs> so I, uh, we named our three kids. I would say their first names uh, don't hold a ton of meaning, mm-hmm. but their middle names do. Nice. Uh, and so that's the way we went. We found it very difficult to name our children, uh, because it would be like Carrie would say, "How about this name?" and I would say, "No." 
how about this name? And I would say, no, one of our children we named at the hospital. We That happened with our third son, too. We named him at the hospital. And we had several names in mind, but he was the one that we even debated about for a few days. Yeah, yeah. And then our third child, we had her name picked out, and I tried to change it in the hospital. No, are you serious? I did. That did not go over well, and we kept the name, and I love it. Like, I, yeah, it's Emily. You, so you're glad she's that Emily, it's Emily. But Emily's literally on name. the way to the hospital, she was a C-section. On the way, I was like, what if we did this? And Carrie's like, excuse me? <laughs> Like, what it's did you done. just do to me it's here? Done. What did you Emily's just do? Emily's a to me? great name. It you is. did good. You did it good. Is. So it was a happy weekend. Uh, don't want to get into details. You got a little kind of weird online feedback in your life this week, and we thought it'd be interesting. We'll talk about it more later on in yeah. the week. But yeah. just how did that make you feel? Yeah, that which, somebody did I got this a little too? hurtful public online feedback from someone that I know and love. And uh, how did it make me feel? It made me wonder. How have we gotten to this place where mm-hmm. we're not ha- we're not able to have uh, disagreements privately or one on one? Why we're airing our grievances online and public forums? And I, I felt a little blindsided by it, to be honest. And I, I want to respond like Jesus wants me to respond by turning over by the tables. Talk- <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> by talking about it on a radio show. Exactly. We kept it very, uh, very, you know, so that nobody would know who they were, but. Uh, I, I wanted to bring that up because you were telling me about it for this reason. And, of course, you and I talked about bringing it up. But uh, people do a better job out there of how you respond to people. Like, yes, don't talk to people online how you wouldn't talk to them to their face. Right. And if you need to say something to them online, talk to their face first, especially yes. if you have relational rapport. Especially if you know their face. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Feel free Go to call. Go to them first. It's my worst thing about social media with people that people say things online with some sort of weird courage that they would never say to you in your in front yeah. of you, on yeah. the phone, in a letter, right. however else people used to contact people. Like, think about this. If I ran into this person, would I say this to them? And if the answer is no, then don't do it. Right. We don't need that online courage. So I thought that was just helpful for people. We're kicking off a Monday afternoon here on The Common Good. Coming up next, Dr. Gary Burge and Dr. David Lauber, they are the co-editors of Life Questions Every Student Asks. Faithful Responses to Common Issues. I think this is such a timely book. We're excited to talk to them about the faith issues facing that next generation. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So good to have you with us today. Uh, we are thrilled to be joined uh, by the co-editors uh, of a book called Life Questions Every Student Asks, Faithful Responses to Common Issues. That's Dr. Gary Burge and Dr. David Lauber. Uh, Gary and David, how are you guys doing today? Great. Great. Doing well. with you. Yeah, we're so thankful to have you guys with us. Also, Aubrey and I here are both Wheaton grads, mm-hmm. so we know the Wheaton connection. Gary, I had many a class with you. Loved having you at Wheaton, so it's really good to talk to you. Uh, and have you oh, guys with us. That's great. I'll have to make sure I look up your grades. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it left, it left me with a radio job. So. <laughs> Let's start here. I'd love to, let me ask you this, Gary, this question of life questions every student asks. You're both in education. You're now at Calvin, and David, you're still at Wheaton. And Gary, so why did you feel the need to write this book? Uh, as someone who deals with students, just where did this book come from for you? Great. Well, great. Thanks for having us on. Our um, pleasure. 
it's really a delight to uh, speak to uh, your audience about what uh, David and I have been working on. Um, a few years back, uh, David and I uh, put together a book uh, basically about the theological questions which uh, everyone asks, and it worked out really well. And it was basically um, the kinds of questions you would like to ask your pastor that uh, you've never had a chance to, and we answer those questions. But then we began to think about it, and we said, well, you know, there are questions which students come to us continuously asking uh, in about their own personal practical lives. Mm. Um, between the two of us, David and I probably have uh, 50 combined years of working with undergraduates. That's mm. great. And, and so, therefore, we have a lot of experience just listening to the questions they have about life. And so, therefore, we brought together about uh, 12 authors here who address questions such as community and friendship, your vocation, gender. Um, of course, sex has to be in here, uh, wealth, race, all of these kinds of issues. And um, we have thoughtful essays. Uh, helping students to work their way through this from a Christian point of view. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, Brian, I can't think of a better thing. I mean, if, if, if you have listeners who have, say, kids between the ages of 15 and 22, mm. and um, you, you wanted to sort of read a book with them, chapter by chapter, and having a discussion with them on these these seminal issues, and they are already thinking about these things. That's right. Mm. But I'll bet you you've never had a conversation with mm-hmm. them about these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. And so this will be a springboard for them, and I think you'd have a lot of fun with it. That's David great. and I had a blast putting this together, and uh, we just are thrilled every time someone benefits from it. That's great. That's so great. So, David, you wrote the chapter on suffering and that's something that we talk about here on the common good quite a bit i would love to just hear what how how did you even approach the big question of suffering and how did you begin to answer it sure Uh, again thanks uh, for having us on um i i've taught um a christian thought class or a basic christian doctrine class for years that includes always a topic of suffering Mm. and i'd have to say that that it's that section of the class that gets the most sort of student conversation, because mm. this is something that they are dealing with on a very personal level in many ways, mm-hmm. or they look around the world and they see the, you know, the horrific suffering that people endure, and it's, a, it's an immediate existential question for them. Mm. And so it's something that I've become quite familiar with talking about in the classroom. Um, in approaching this particular chapter, I wrote about my own personal situation. I have a son um, who was diagnosed with leukemia when he was Mm. 14 Mm. in 2017. uh, Thanks be to God and thanks to wonderful treatment. He's he's off treatment. He finished last summer uh, and is doing well and will be heading to Wheaton in the fall. That's great. But it was the immediacy of, of seeing him suffer, um, seeing my wife suffer, Mm. seeing, uh, people around him um, encouraging him. It, it really made me think about, okay, this is never just a theoretical question, yeah. uh, a problem that we can solve. It's yeah. a reality that we have to to bring uh, Christian faith to, to bear upon. Yeah. That's, so that, that's how I, I approached it. Great. and tried to weave my story uh, into my treatment of suffering without making my story um, 
sort of the prominent thing, yeah. but uh, a part of uh, the larger story of, of God's redeeming work. Oh, that's a good word. And Gary, you wrote the, the chapter on community and friendship, which is really interesting, especially now in the time of COVID and the pandemic when we couldn't be around people. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what that, the, the focus of that chapter is on community and friendship. Well, what happens so frequently with, with students is they've come through high school and they may well be entering, they're, they're in college, and they have a community that is already preformed for them. Mm. So they have uh, natural relationships in classes, dormitories, whatever. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they will describe in their senior year, almost like they graduate and they fall off of a social cliff. That's right. And they... And the question is, how is it then when you launch, when you step into the world and you move out of your parents' house and you, you have your first job, and then how is it that you find, what does a community do for you? How do you find a life-giving, sustaining community? And so just like David began with a narrative, I also began with a narrative. I, I, I keep up a lot of email conversations with students of mine who have graduated some years ago. And in this case, I'm actually, it's, I actually share um, an email and a conversation with one of my former students who goes off to a city and basically um, gives up on their faith and gives up on just about everything and is living in complete isolation. Mm. Um, and, and the risk is that student who then moves to the exotic city gets the job, which suddenly feels boring, doesn't have a circle of friends any longer, yearns for what they had back when they were 18 and 19, cannot have it, and they fall into this incredible despair. Mm. So in this chapter, what I'm trying to describe to students is, look, this is what community gives you. This is one of the most important things that you need to learn how to cultivate in your adult life. Here's how to cultivate it. And, and, and hopefully you will begin to build this as a virtue into your life from forward. When I've shared this chapter with students, they, they say to me, you know, what you're describing is something that I've taken for granted. And, and in fact, many of our adult friends that you and I have probably are living today taking for granted that community is just supposed to be there. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Right. But we have to work to establish community, to sustain a community around ourselves, and hopefully the church is that community, but we all know that that isn't always the case. Right. Yeah. But without community, um, we begin to shrink. Our souls begin to shrink. Absolutely. And so, anyway, I tell the story about my conversation with a student of mine, was trying to reclaim community. Mm. Oh, that's great. Again, the book is called Life Questions Every Student Asks, Faithful Responses to Common Issues. Dr. Gary Burge is professor of New Testament and the dean of the faculty at Calvin Theological Seminary. And Dr. David Lauber is a dean and associate professor of theology at our alma mater, Wheaton College. Uh, David, let me ask you this. We we did a story a couple of weeks ago about, you know, you always see Barna research right now about you know, the millennial generation or this next generation, you know, they're they're not born. They're not saying they're born again and they're not going to go to church. All these negative things. I'm wondering, you're in that uh, kind of um, environment with these students. Uh, are you worried? What are you seeing in that next generation of the church right now? I, I do see students who are deeply interested in their faith. They're trying to think about how to live faithfully as Christians in the world. 
Um, I think there might be some disillusionment of some students about the, the sort of status of the church or as they um, get inundated with various things, but I, I'm not um, as um, pessimistic as maybe mm-hmm. uh, some others might be. I, I, I would put it perhaps this way. I, I see maybe three types of students at Wheaton, and we try to sort of bring all of these together. So I see students who are deeply interested in their spiritual life, in worship, in a a kind of piety. I see other students who are deeply interested in uh, Christian doctrine and sort of the intellectual life of the faith. And then I see students who are deeply interested in a kind of activism or um, sort of social ethics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the task that we have as educators and then certainly as the Church is to to bring those three things together mm-hmm. so that people can see uh, a life of integrity where our worship lives, our uh, beliefs and convictions, and the way we live out our faith in the public square are, are deeply integrated, instead of what I can see from time to time is these things get a bit fractured or compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. Right. Gary, um you know, the title of your book, of course, that we're talking about is Life Questions Every Student Asks, Faithful Responses to Common Issues. Do you feel like the, either have the questions changed uh, post-pandemic or because of the pandemic, or has the urgency of the question changed? Have you seen any change, I guess, in these questions because of the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not I'm not sure we know the answer to that yet because we really haven't come out of the pandemic. Yet. Right, right. And um, actually, when we come out of the pandemic, um, most psychologists are saying it's going to take a year to really figure out what happened to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we we really we really don't know. Um, let me go back to that other question about um, what about students and how they're evolving. Yeah, um, I'm at Calvin University, and uh, we. We have a different kind of student who's there. They're not tethered to the evangelical subculture. Um, there are many students at Calvin that are just like Wheaton students, but I think what they do is they represent something broader and just sort of the general Christian public in a, in a slightly different way. And um, and I think that, you know, what I've, I've had 25 years at Wheaton, and now I've had about almost five here, hmm. and I've just noticed that it's a very different environment here you have students who have grown up inside of church, but many, many of them are what I would call post-church. Mm. And mm. Um, for me, for me, I, I, I think I never realized the significance of a book that was written about 15 years ago by the um, Notre Dame scholar Christian Smith. The book is called Soul Searching, mm-hmm. and uh, Christian Smith interviewed about 3,000 students in the United States and he's the one who came up with the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism. That's right. And I, I you know, and I, I, there are like five basic things which he's concluded that is, uh, is, is rampant. It's widespread. And I, I think it's more common deeply inside of the hearts of young people than any of us realize. Essentially, you know, God is somebody who created the world and he steps to the side and, we don't really need him unless he's around to resolve a problem. So mm-hmm. what I have to do is just be nice and good and fair to everybody. That's all the Bible teaches. Mm. Um, and I also want to feel good about life. Life's goal is to be happy. Mm. Um, and if you're good and you learn to be happy, you're going to go to heaven. Mm. So 
Um, when, 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 when I, since I've been at, at Calvin, I've begun to see, I think, a picture of the church that I have not seen quite so directly before in my career. Mm. And so um, I think a book like this actually says to people who, students like I'm describing, it says to them, let's together think deeply and Christianly about values I know are important to you. That's good. So what are you going to do with money? How are you going to think deeply about money, or are you just simply going to collect it and have as much fun as possible? And I believe deep down, even the students that I'm describing, they do have virtues, but they are so so deep, they haven't been able to surface. Yes. And so David and I are hoping a book like this helps them to surface some of those deeper values. Mm. So like in my chapter on community, I just don't want to say, well, a community is a bunch of people you party with. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. um, A community is something that's deep and life-giving, and they get that. Yeah. But it needs to be articulated for them, Mm. and we hope that this book articulates these things. Oh, that's great. And David, uh, I see one of the chapters, Keith Johnson wrote it, about doubt. Doubt is such a big deal right now and such a big topic of conversation. Uh, what little two-part question here. What do you say to students who are doubting their faith, kind of wrestling with these things? You know, they're out of mom and dad's house now on a campus. What do you say to students? And then I'd also love to hear, what do you say to parents who get really freaked out that maybe their student or their child is doubting their faith? How do you deal with doubt? Yeah, I, I, I think with students, we try to remind students that, that they're not the first one in the history of the church to doubt. Um, that the, the questions that they're dealing with, the concerns that they have, the struggles they have, um, there are rich resources which within the Christian faith that, that can help them. So that that's one thing we try to encourage students. Okay. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. You're not alone in this. <laughs> Lots of people have thought through um, many of the questions that, that you might have at this time. Um, we also, uh, I also try to help students see that, that in many ways this kind of doubting and, and wrestling with questions is actually a, uh, a demonstration that they take things seriously. Mm. They're, not, they're not satisfied with platitudes or, or simplistic um, responses to really important questions, and so encourage them in that way. Um, and to to bring kind of their questions and and doubts uh, before before the Lord, and and He can refine them yeah. in those ways. And then, of course, try to provide you know specific <laughs> answers to specific questions that they might have. Sure, sure. Um, in, in terms of parents, uh, I think some of it is is developmental. Um, it's college <laughs> uh, that we all know that you know that that a age uh, group, um, they're working through lots of things, they're developing, um, and so it's not um, terribly surprising that, that uh, a student might go through a, a season of doubt or a period of doubt. Um, and so to be patient uh, through it all, mm. um, maybe even um, reflecting my own life. I mean, I was a student at Wheaton back <laughs> a long time ago, and I, <laughs> I certainly remember times of wondering, you know, what's this all about, and is yeah. this true, and um, how do I kind of make this faith my own, and I was able to come through the other side, and so I think helping parents with um, stories of, of people who have, 
have worked through seasons of doubt, I think can be helpful as well. That's so good. Um, from both of you, I would love to hear with just the next minute or so, how can people connect with you, connect with other works you're putting out to the world? Where can we find all things Dr. Burge and Dr. Lauber? Right. Um, David and I both are, what we write is available on Amazon, and uh, I do keep an Amazon page. This is Gary. Um, so uh, you can just click on my name when you see a book, and then you'll go to the Amazon page. Um, I also keep a website, uh, GaryBurge.org, uh, and uh, there you can find whatever um, I'm writing and what I'm doing. Great. Wonderful. And how about you, David? Uh, I am not as uh, savvy <laughs> as Gary. <laughs> I do not have a, a personal website yet, so <laughs> I can kind of tag along with him right. on the Amazon and the there IBC you go. page. Um, but maybe maybe going forward, I'll, I'll put there you go. <laughs> Think there about you it. Go. Think about it anyway. <laughs> the book, again, is called Life Questions Every Student Asks, Faithful Responses to Common Issues. Dr. David Lauber, again, is Dean and Associate Professor of Theology at Wheaton College. And Dr. Gary Burge is Professor of New Testament and Dean of Faculty uh, at Calvin Theological Seminary. We'd encourage you to go get that book, Life Questions Every Student Asks. David and Gary, this was a real, Thank real pleasure. So Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank Absolutely. Our pleasure. Yep, our pleasure. And thanks all for joining us. You are listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Common Good Aim 1160. Hope for your life alongside a dancing Aubrey Sampson. This My is name is Brian Fromm. I like this. Glad to have you with us. This kind of puts a smile on your face on a Monday. Like it's hot out. They've got. They're telling me on here that there might be some rain this week, but you get this music. You know, you're just people, dancing. Like people are tapping their. Are, okay, you're in the car. You're yep. hearing music yep. like this. Are you just tapping, tapping the steering, steering wheel? wheel? Or are you dancing, dancing? I'm rolling down the window. I'm my arms are out. I'm dancing. I'm I'm forgetting to drive. So your arms can't make it out both <laughs> windows. <laughs> I mean, you can have an arm out your window. Have you ever, you know, like when people... You don't know, Brian. You haven't seen me roll down my windows how tiny my car is. You know, you know, like how I'll never forget asking this question and the person looking at me, because you know, like when people have to use hand signals for turning... And it'll be like if I'm turning, like if, like if they're blinkers. Yeah, yeah, okay, like, yeah. Like you go straight out and you're turning left, but maybe you're like arm up or something yes. means you're turning right. And I'll be like, why don't they just stick their arm, their right <laughs> arm in it? Because it won't reach. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, valid point. So uh, anyway, we're glad that you are with us today. All right. So you and I are both pastors in this interesting article at the Washington Post. It's talking mainly about the Catholic Church. Uh, but it's bigger than that. It's a bigger question about people going back to church. Right. Okay. So uh, the the premise of the article is that the uh, the ca- the call to return in the Catholic Church they could say it this way like it's a it's a like it's a rule that you have to observe uh, the Holy Day of Obligation. Uh, they kind of gave a dispensation for the pandemic. Well, many bishops in the, around the country are pulling that dispensation mm-hmm. now, like now is the time. And so for the Catholic Church, it's kind of the rubber is about to meet the road here of people coming back, not feeling comfortable to come back or just not coming back because they're like, well, I don't really want to go back. Right. You and I aren't in the Catholic Church, but we've been talking about this very much. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, we were talking about our own churches, but also you guys spent a lot of time with a bunch of pastors this weekend yep. at your husband and some other guys doing a triathlon. And a lot of people, what you're hearing is anywhere from 45 percent, 
fifty percent. You said Craig Grishell down at Life Church. They've been open for a while, mm-hmm. and they've they're kind like sixty percent, sixty percent. So there are some outliers of churches coming back at. 90, 9,500. But for the most part, what we're all hearing and seeing are, I mean, they're hard numbers to think about. If you look at your pre-pandemic attendance, Mm -hmm. 50%? Right. It might be what you can expect to come back. Let's ask this question a couple different ways. Some people might be surprised about why. Why would half your people not come back? And then what do you think is the, what what is our response as pastors, as churches coming out of the pandemic now? I mean, I think what I'm hearing is there's a lot of church shifting that took place in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So some folks were maybe thinking about leaving their church. This was a good sort of time to step back, reevaluate. Is this the church they want to be at? You know, and then maybe they're trying another church. Some people, I think, genuinely like the freedom of a Sunday morning without having something to do. We've gotten used to that. And so that feels hard to give up. Some people, I think, are maybe still online because they um, still have some, you know, COVID precautions or anxieties. And so they're not quite ready yet. I think some people may just be summer and in the fall. (laughs) We'll see what happens. But generally, it seems like that number, 45, 50 percent, is what pastors can expect as churches begin to reopen. And, you know, something that um, I don't know, it feels like you could easily be discouraged by that. But then you have to go, okay, Lord, well, this is your church. And so now it's time for us to be about the business of rebuilding the church. And that means going after those who don't know Jesus. Mm. Like maybe it's not, I mean, I do think it's worth the effort, of course, to call every member of your church, to reach out, see if they're okay, see what happens. Certainly shepherd those that are in your midst you thought were in your community. But I also think it's a call to go, hey, there's a lot of folks that are unreached, a lot of neighbors that are unreached, like Let's use the time to go after them and, uh, you know, follow the call to make disciples, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, a lot of this could just drive us down and like, Definitely. oh, I'm just sad. Where are all my people? What yeah. did I do? Here, a little uh, inside baseball here for pastors' mindsets. We always think people stay and leave our churches because of us. Oh, 100%. <laughs> we always think that's the case. Yes. Like, if you told me, hey, pastor, I love you, but, you know, out of the pandemic, blah, 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 I'd be like, you don't love me. Yeah, like, you'd, you'd be like, I did something to offend you. Exactly. Yes. We're just narcissistic that way. Like, I think everyone who's come to our church, it's because of me, and everyone who leaves, it's because... And that, right. that roller coaster is very difficult. It's very and difficult. And so now when you're coming back at a time when maybe 50%, and I do think that you're right, that the, we, there might also be that bump come September. Right. Uh, after, you know, pandemic, hopefully done, and then you've got uh, summer done. Mm-hmm. But I do think, kind of... If you're going to survive this as a pastor, I do think you've got to find a way to look forward and go, yeah. okay, uh, it's almost like we're restarting our church. like we're Relaunch. Re- That's what we're actually calling it. We're relaunching Renewal Church because it feels that way. Yeah, it does feel that way. But some of us who launch churches like you and Kevin and like myself... You were kind of done with the launch Yeah, phase. we already did the launch <laughs> so, like, I, I don't, I'm not looking to launch. Now, what do we say to the people out there who are going, you know what? I'm one of those people who's done with church. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not switching churches, Aubrey. I am. I just did 14 months of not going on a Sunday and morning. I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think either you or I are the people who are going to berate those people. I think we get it. Yeah. So what, what would you say to the person right now who's driving or sitting at home going, 
Yeah, I'm not sure I'm ever, I'm not sure I'm going back to church anytime soon. I know, a part of you wants to be like, I know, me too. Like, I know, I've loved having weekends for the first time. Kevin and I have been in ministry. I'm sure Brian, you and Carrie have for 20 years yes, of our marriage. Yes, this yes. is the first time we've had weekends. I don't, I don't know if I want to go back. <laughs> I, I, you know, I do think stepping back, it's a bigger conversation about what is church? Is church something you consume online or is church a body of people practicing the sacraments, practicing the faith, spurring each other on? towards Jesus Christ. And if you can remember that church is a community and a body and that we need each other and that ultimately mm. like we do need our experiences of worship together to help us keep doing this life for Christ. This Christian we need each other, That's right? That's right. I think the absolute uh, yeah. question is what is church? Yeah. Uh because I do think part of it, a major part of it is that gathering. Because mm-hmm. I think we Definitely. swing the pendulum too far here and we're like, see, it doesn't even matter if we get, it right. does, it does matter. matter, but that's not all that matters. Yeah. Like it's not just about the show. Uh, it's, it's also about community and this and that. So would you tell people, no, you need to go back. Yeah, I would say go back. I would definitely say go back. I would say, I get it. Trust me, I get it. Go back. I think it will fill your soul and you'll remember that your, your salvation is not just individual or your, your Christian faith is not just individualistic. It's not just about you. It is a communal faith. And again, those, I think the other piece is the sacraments we do together. Mm-hmm. Taking the Lord's Supper, baptism. Um, those things matter in community. That's a good word right there. We're coming up next. We're going to talk about Rick Warren's succession news from the weekend and a whole lot more. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, fascinating news from Rick Warren about succession and bringing on his own replacement. And then we're joined by Jim Dennison, founder of the Dennison Forum. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, hopefully, the, you know, the day is done. Monday is in the books. That's You're right. going home. That's right. And thanks for letting us take you home a little bit. We do appreciate mm-hmm. you it's joining us today. Big news over the weekend. Uh, Rick Warren, if you're unaware of who that is, Rick Warren is uh, the, he's been a pastor for 40 years at Saddleback Church mm-hmm. out in uh, Southern California in Orange County. And um, he started Saddleback. Have you ever heard Rick Warren tell the story of starting the church? I don't think I have. Oh, Rick Warren tells the story that the first service was just his wife. Oh, that's awesome. And now it's like one of the flagship churches right. in the country. He's been there for 41 years. Amazing. Also the author of The Purpose Driven Life. He has a show here on AM 1160. Like Rick Warren is all over the place. Yeah. Uh, but he said way a long time ago, Rick Warren said, uh, I'm going to devote 40 years of my life to Saddleback Church, Hmm. and he's now been there 41 years. Wow. And so this weekend, during their services, Rick Warren announced that he is leaving, but he's going to do it in a very unique and what I would say is a super healthy way. Uh, So we want you to listen. This clip's a little longer, but this is Rick Warren uh, making his announcement about leadership and making changes in life. Let's listen to what Rick Warren had to say. Well, there are actually three reasons we're starting the search now. First, as I explained earlier about my public announcement at the very first service of of Saddleback Church, I was barely 26 years old, and I announced that I would give the next 40 years of my life to serving this church. I did that for stability, but I also did that figuring 
that by the time I'd given 40 years, we would need a younger leader by that time with more energy, uh, new vision, uh, fresh ideas to take our church into the next generation. As I said, it wasn't a promise God gave me. It was a promise I gave to God and to you, people as this church. I was just saying, I'm not, I'm not leaving. Now, on January 25th, 2020, as I said, I fulfilled that 40-year commitment. We're now in our 42nd year. Well, what happened? Well, I told you. Three weeks after, after our 40th anniversary, the COVID pandemic hit, and I knew it would be the wrong time uh, to bring in a new pastor. Uh, I knew that I was probably the only one who could lead our church family through this uncharted waters of pandemic. That's the first reason. But the second reason is this. We're now coming out of COVID. We may be able to let go of masks in a week or two. Who knows? And, and we're going to have a new worship center finished before fall. We are poised for another level of development and growth at Saddleback Church, which I'm so excited about. So this is a good time. But there's a third reason, and and that's my health, which I would like to ask you to pray about. And I just want to be vulnerable with you about this. Most of you know that I was born with a physical condition that's been a thorn in my flesh for 50 years of ministry. It's a neurological condition called a rare, it's a rare version of spinal myoclonus. I went to 17 doctors before they figured it out. And 30 years ago, when I went to Mayo Clinic, they said, we may have to name a syndrome after you because we only know about 17 or 18 people in the world who have this. And so that's Pastor Rick Warren. And it's a much longer talk. You can find it online. But really vulnerably saying, this is why I'm leaving. Because usually, what are we used to, Aubrey? People leave churches. Pastors leave churches because they're burned out or angry or the church or is there's mad moral with failure or yeah. something like that right yeah but he's saying listen this is my time we need new leadership there's some self-awareness there mm-hmm. there's god's got something new for me mm-hmm. but this is what i love about it it's i'm going to spend the next however amount of time it takes helping find that person raising mm-hmm. that person up training that person and handing off now in a very uh healthy way i find this so admirable I think it's going to be fascinating to watch, and a lot of other churches are going to learn from this model of succession mm-hmm. because I, I agree he has he has run the race, right? He yeah. has served his church faithfully and is still going to serve the church 100%. faithfully. Just because like he's not in that title role doesn't mean he's no longer in ministry or part of Saddleback. But I love, like you said, that awareness. It's time for the next generation to to uh, rise up and lead and take us to wherever God wants us, and it's going to be really. A beautiful, it's going to be a beautiful thing to see, like how he passes that baton off yes. and, and what long. happens. Yeah, Absol- I'm excited. I'm Absolutely. Excited. And so uh, I, I think th- there's a leadership principle here, right, about um, so often in churches, but everywhere, so often in all sorts of places, it's about me as a leader, like, right, the narcissist goes, or, but just, it's natural to say, I want the platform. I want the notoriety. Mm-hmm. I want, I, I, I. And then until I can't do it anymore, and then they'll be forced to find my replacement and I'll, whatever. Right. But but really good leadership is saying, uh, who can I build into? So That's that right. so it's about the organization, it's about the church, it's about and, and good leadership says I'm going to take what I've learned and what I know my gifting, and I'm going to try to. The best thing I can do is to plant that, impart that into Mm -hmm. another person who can then carry the torch. We get that wrong about leadership so often. So often leadership's about me. Like it's about me. But when it's about me, 
that's really poor leadership. Things go poorly. And that's, again, why I think Rick Warren's doing this really well. Well, I think, you know, our friend of the show, a friend to church planters and pastors is Dave Ferguson, who mm-hmm. has that book, Hero Makers. And that's essentially what he's talking about, that you're not here to make yourself the hero, right? right. Like, ultimately, good leaders do take what they're skilled in or what they're you know, anointed in and pour that into whoever is next so that they're able to mm-hmm. to rise up and do what God has called them to do. And in that way, we're impacting we greater impact for the kingdom. It's farther reaching. And um, we do get away from that ugly narcissism that you see. That's right. Where like when the pastor leaves, the church just falls apart. That's right. And that's not God's design for his church. There was something really sweet. He says at a different part of this that we couldn't play. Uh, But I'd encourage you to go listen. He says that another part, people ask, are you leaving the church? And he's like, no, my wife and I, we're going to be the old people in the front row cheering the pastor. I love that. Rick Warren has every reason to make this, not every reason, but we've all seen it. The guy who started it, who's the big name looming as this shadow. Right. But I just picture him just encouraging Mm -hmm. and being that kind of like mentor Mm -hmm. as the founding pastor. Uh, big Rick Warren fan. Probably my favorite interview that I've ever oh, done. because you and Ian, uh, whoever he is. Yes, <laughs> no, just Ian. kidding. Ian, the first co-host, your first co-host. Right. You got to interview Rick Warren and sit down with him for a while. He was so gracious. Mm. And it was in person over at Wheaton College. He was in town for a conference. And we were told, hey, here's the amount of time he has. Not in a mean way, but like, here's the amount of time you have. We hadn't. We went over that time before ever hitting record because no. he was so gregarious, so Aww, fun. That's amazing. We laughed so hard. It's literally the picture we have outside our office, that uh, is so outside cool. our studio here. Uh, is us spending time with Rick Warren. So it's just an amazing legacy. And think about, yeah, like how long, if Saddleback lives and thrives and makes disciples and glorifies Jesus for another 40 years with a new pastor, like what an incredible legacy that church is. Absolutely. So I mentioned before that Pastor uh, Rick Warren, he's a teammate here uh, on Salem Radio uh, here at AM 1160. You can hear his show, Pastor Rick's Daily Hope Weekdays, at 9 a.m. right here on AM 1160. Again, that's Pastor Rick's Daily Hope airs weekdays at 9 a.m. on uh, here on AM 1160. All right, coming up next, we want you to call. Call us, 312-660-2594. That sounded kind of needy. Call us. Call us, please. We want to invite you to call us, 312-660-2594. We want you to answer this. What's something that you're looking forward to doing over the summer? We're not looking for hot takes. We're not looking for... We want to know what people... We want to get excited yeah, for the summer. Yeah, fun so, summer things. What is something new you're looking forward to doing over the summer? Or what is something you didn't get to do last year because of the pandemic that you're looking forward to doing? Uh, we're going to share some of ours, but we would love to hear from you. 312-660-2594. Again, that's 312-660-2594. You're listening to The Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. A little side note, I love this song. It is a dance party up in here. This is the first time I've seen Brian Fromm dance, and y'all, he did it. And I am a Wheaton graduate, so I've come a long way, but this is, I love that song. I love that song. Well, that gets us, songs like that get you in the mood for summer. Aubrey, sometimes we do hard-hitting stuff here, and sometimes we just like to have some fun. We just like to talk about things that are fun sometimes. So here's what we want to know from you. What is something new you're looking for? forward to doing over the summer or just something you're looking forward to doing over the summer 
Or what is something you're looking to do again that maybe last summer you weren't able to do? You and I just want to talk about the summer. Our kids are getting we're off so of school. We're so ready for summer. We've got all these things we're planning on doing. So here's what we would like you to do. Give us a call. 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. You know what added benefit you call that? You get to talk to our wonderful producer, Debbie. Debbie, she's so amazing. she will get you all set up. There's nothing to be nervous about. So what are you going to do this summer? What are you looking forward to? What are you learning? Aubrey, I already think we've got a phone call. We actually do. We have Gloria on the phone. Gloria, thanks for calling. What are you looking forward to over the summer? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to learn to kayak. Oh, kayaking. That's so fun. So you've never done it before. This is a new skill for you. I have never done it. Several people I know do, and I thought it's time that I've Take the plunge. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hopefully you don't actually take the plunge. (laughs) That is fantastic. Well, thanks for calling in, Gloria. Thank you. Yep, that number again, 312-660-2594. Can I be a complete wet blanket here? Yeah. Oh, I know you. I know what you're going to say. The only time, one of the last times I kayaked, it was the closest to death I've ever. I come. hope Gloria, <laughs> Gloria, I hope you're not listening. Brian calls. Wait, what do you call kayaks? Lake coffins river, or something? River coffins. River coffins. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to that, it's, Gloria. It's a story for another day, but it was legitimately scary, and it was a. Uh, it was in a kayak, or as we like to refer to them, the river coffin. So, Gloria, <laughs> enjoy the river coffin. Fine. What are you looking forward to this summer? So, they just announced, I've done this already, obviously, I told you, but I've, they've just announced going full capacity at Wrigley and at U.S. Cellular, or guaranteed right field. There's something about full baseball stadiums watching a game. You're really excited oh, about that. Oh, my goodness. I'm also excited. Something my family tries to do every now and then is we'll drive around the lake to like the Michigan side and go spend a day or two just on the lake. I grew up going to the ocean, so it's a little different. Yeah. But you go to like New Buffalo or St. Joe's. I love that part of the country. Yeah. You know what I love about the summer? I love the ability to like have extended time with family. So awesome. And by family, I don't even mean like, I mean like my wife and three kids. Yeah. Yeah. Your immediate family. No school, no school, all this kind of stuff. So that's something for me. How about you? Um, You know what? I really want to try deep sea fishing this summer. And so I realize that means we have to go somewhere like, yeah, you know, we need to go to Florida or we need to go to Mexico or something like that. So it may not happen this summer, but I've got, I don't know why, like I want to learn to do it. I want to get out there on the water and reel in some Dorado. Like, I'm ready. Have you ever deep sea fished before? Nope. How deep? Like, what are we talking about? So now you're asking me questions I don't know the answer to. My question is like, is it like get, uh, like, let's pretend you're at the ocean, okay? Okay. And you're going to go deep sea fishing. Is this like get in the boat and with a guide and Kevin's there and your kids and it takes you like an hour to get out there? Um, Are we talking that deep? Like, you can't see the shore? Yeah, I think that's what I want. Definitely a guide. I guess it could be 30 minutes to an hour, whatever did, that means. We did that last summer uh, when we were in Nantucket. And uh, man, I'm the biggest down here. I got sick, seasick, but well, it was a yeah. blast. Okay, it was fun. It was fun. My son caught, kind of, more the guy caught, the guide caught it. But my son uh, my son caught a, uh, a like a little shark. Oh, congratulations to him. He, we threw it back, but yeah, it was, it was that's, awesome. That's what I want. I want the thrill like, of the catch. Like, we just caught a shark. This summer. All right. So we want to hear what you're excited about this summer. Again, our number is 312-660-2594. We actually have a caller on the line. Lydia's here. Lydia, what are you excited about to try new this summer? Well, first of all, let me tell you that I, I am a mature adult. 
I've never had swimming lessons. Oh. Although I can survive in the pool. Okay. However, I'd, I'd really like to take swimming lessons and learn how to do it right. Swimming lessons for mature women. I can't go to goldfish. They don't. They don't say <laughs> no goldfish swim school for you. That That's is awesome. fantastic. Maybe Lydia, you could participate in a triathlon one day, like my husband did over the weekend. That would be amazing. Well, thanks so much for calling. Okay, y'all have fun. You too. Bye. You too. I would love to do swim lessons for for older people. I love that idea. Mature men I, and women almost, swim lessons. I almost just said I'd love to do swim lessons for mature women because that's what she said. But <laughs> Brian, that's not what I mean. It's inappropriate. But anyway, what's something that maybe not new, but that you just love about? Again, you could call us three one two six six zero two five nine four if you still want to join us. What is something that you're just like, hey, this is something my family normally does, but man, I just can't wait yeah. till we're doing this Yeah, yeah. Often. We missed last summer because of the pandemic. Wow, we love, is it called Raging Waves? Yes. Yeah, I yes. love water parks. I've already been checking when tickets are available. Season passes aren't anymore. I was going to buy us a season pass. That's how excited I am. Raging but. Waves is great. What if maybe we can get them to like sponsor something on the show and get something... <gasps> That'd be awesome. We could, do, wait, we could do the Common Good live the from Raging, no, then we Raging do a show Waves. While our kids are there. Oh, yeah, that's true. We want to just ride rides. I love Raging Waves. That's a good time. Okay, what about you? What's something else you guys want to do this So summer? I do love, uh, like in Downers Grove, where I live, they've got the car show. Yeah. And like every Friday, like that sounds small, and I'm not actually sure but, that they're doing it. But like to go to dinner and walk the car show that and then so get fun. ice cream yeah. and just walk outside. I love that. Uh, and, and so I just, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's just that family time that I love where we also, um, we'll have a little fire pit, you know, and you yeah. like roast marshmallows. Oh, that's and stuff. such a fun so, thing man, to do in the I'm evenings getting, in the summer. I'm getting excited um, about summer. I also have a big summer announcement. Our church, Renewal Church, is opening. Finally, we're back. It's taken us a long time to get there, but Sunday, June 13th. We're open. So that's going to be really exciting. Don't you know that nobody goes to church in the summer? (laughs) (laughs) Me and Kevin and our kids are going to be there and it's going to be awesome. We're all looking forward to the summer. Is there anything you don't like about the summer? Oh, I mean, I'm not, I don't love super hot weather, you know, like I would much rather it, we live in like San Diego or something, but I, whatever. I can deal with it. It's fine. I think the answer to that question is and always will be mosquitoes. Oh, that's actually the right answer. I'm going like, to roll back mine and say mosquitoes, mosquitoes too. Mosquitoes are the thing that most of us, when we get to heaven, yeah. we're going to go, hey, God. What was up with that? Like you did a lot of awesome things mm-hmm. at creation. Walk, walk us through the mosquitoes. Yeah, is that well, part of the like fallenness the... of the world? <laughs> Is that to help us understand our own need to be sanctified? Like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, maybe like our dependence on you. Like, okay, I need oh, I need God right now because I'm so itchy. I got my first mosquito bite over the weekend, and I, then I felt like, okay, summer's here. Yeah, the like mosquitoes and ticks and yeah. things like that. You're just like, hmm. All right. kind of a downer today, Brian. <laughs> river, river, river coffins and mosquitoes. <laughs> what a su- Wow, you're fun to be around in the I summer. I can't wait for the summer. Well, that was fun. Uh, we wanted to just point us towards the summer and the good times we are all going to have. But we're going to keep doing the show through the summer. So uh, we will have lots more fun things to talk lots about. Lots of fun times. And we'll hear about your first trip to Raging Waves and uh, we'll do that. So can't we're wait. glad that you're joining us. Well, coming up next. 
a, a legitimate friend of the show, Dr. Jim Dennison. He is the founder and the chief vision officer of the Dennison Forum. Also the author of a book called Respectfully I Disagree, How to Be a Civil Person in an Uncivil Time. Jim joins us regularly. He's going to join us for the rest of the hour next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, it is really good to be with you today. And Aubrey, I really enjoy that we're going to end the show with someone who's a genuine friend he of the show. He is a friend of the show. Calling us uh, from Dallas, Texas area. He is the co-founder and chief vision officer of the Denison Forum. Also the author of Respectfully, I Disagree, How to Be a Civil Person in Uncivil Time. That person is Dr. Jim Denison. Jim, how are you doing today? Hey, Brian, I'm glad to be on with you today. As I was complaining off air, we're getting Dallas weather in Chicago and Chicago weather in Dallas. So I'm a little confused. <laughs> That's right. It is true. We, just, we all need San Diego weather at both or something like that. So that would be the That's way to go. Right. Or just move to San Diego or something. That I sounds you. nice. Now you're you. talking. Hey, Jim, before yeah. we dive in, and, and what we love to do with, when we have Jan is uh, we love guests who tell us, tell us you can ask me anything, but you write so often at the Denison Forum that we love to just go through some of the things you've written. But before we do that, uh, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little better? You bet. Glad to do that. I'm a cultural apologist. My calling is to speak biblical truth to cultural issues, hoping to encourage Christians to use their influence to make an impact for Christ. So I have a Ph.D. in philosophy. I've taught philosophy of religion at four seminaries, pastored four churches with about 20,000 in membership, and then 12 years ago started the ministry we have now. Write an article every day that goes out to about 300,000 subscribers, 2.2 million in social audience, wow. and a lot of website, a lot of uh, video, uh, a lot of podcast, a lot of media. I get to do with all this. And all that is at denisonforum.org is the website where people can find my content. That's great, Jim. Well, today you posted an article about, it wasn't really about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, but we like talking about the royal family on the common <laughs> yes, good. Do. So what you really talked about was the power of peace in a perilous world. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm glad to do that. But you always start with the royal family, any chance you get. That's right. right. I mean, that's, that's right. right. You know. It's, it's gold. And if you can do that in Tim Tebow, then it's even better. <laughs> it seems like everybody's in that. So. But nonetheless. So, yeah, so as we all know now, as the whole world knows now, they had a little baby daughter last Friday. They announced it yesterday. And my point was bringing a child into a fallen world has always been an act of faith. Mm-hmm. And today is no exception. So we looked at some of the news that was breaking this morning. Dozens of passengers killed in Pakistan when two trains collided. There was a mass shooting in New Orleans yesterday. There was a Delta flight that was diverted last Friday when someone tried to break into the cockpit. We even talked about pro golfer John Rahm, who mm-hmm. was leading the Memorial Tournament on Saturday and tested positive for COVID, had to withdraw. Mm-hmm. All of that to say, if we can find peace in a perilous world, that peace will be a witness to the culture in a way that really will make a difference. That light in a dark room really will be obvious and powerful. And we all know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So we talked about Philippians 4 and trusting him with our challenges and finding the peace that passes understanding as a result. Yeah, it's such a good word. And Jim, I wonder, uh, this is a hard question, how do we access that peace? How do we actually realize that in our life as life is going crazy? 
Yeah, thank you. So in the text, as you know, Brian, I know you've preached on this, taught on this as well, where Jesus, where Paul says, in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The petition piece is the one I think we miss. Mm. We all know that the Bible says, be not anxious about anything. We know we're supposed to pray about everything. But the word petition there means to be very specific in your request. And that's where I think we fall down. I'm dealing with some issue, and I'll say, God, bless me. Well, what does he do with that? What does it mean to bless me? Or I'll say, God, be with me. Well, Jesus promised in Matthew 28, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So be as specific as you can be. Mm-hmm. I remember reading about a pastor years ago in Korea that was praying for a bicycle, needed a bicycle to visit his members, couldn't find a bicycle. Then he began to pray even more specifically, prayed for a blue men's bicycle that was a three-speed, and the next day someone voluntarily gave to the church a blue men's bicycle three-speed. <laughs> Love that. And he felt like God taught him that lesson in the midst of This isn't name and claim it. I don't mean that at right, all. Right. Right. specific. God's obligated. But I just think so often we don't give God specifically the issues that we face. If we'll do that in prayer and thanksgiving for what he's done and what he will do, the Bible says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts, which is your emotions, and your minds, which is your thoughts, in Christ Jesus. Doesn't promise he'll necessarily give you what you want, but he will give you what you need, and he will give you his peace. Yeah, that's so good, Jim. Thanks for that. So you also wrote a little over a week ago about Naomi Osaka and Doc Prescott, the urgency and power of community. Brian and I actually talked about Naomi's decision to not speak with reporters during the upcoming French Open. Talk to us about how that's connected to community in your mind. Yeah, thank you. So that was so much in the news and still is, obviously, with her decision withdraw due to mental health issues. We in Dallas, of course, are thinking about Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. our quarterback, whose who's, uh, brother died during the offseason mm-hmm. and who himself went through in the pandemic a great deal of mental challenge, he said. And in the midst of that, the thing that both of them kept making clear is the need for community, the need for people who would know them as they are who would reach out for them and who would reach out to them as they are, not just as a quarterback, not just as a great tennis pro, but as a person. And how the gospel is the answer to that, that the body of Christ was created for community by a God who lives in community. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. He is a communal God. He created us for community. And when we become the body of Christ we're called to be, we offer the culture, the community, it's yearning for even more than it knows. And why are we bad at community? Because I think what's something we've learned uh, in our world, and then COVID has kind of shined a light on it as we've been apart for community. I guess it's a two-part question. Why do we do this so poorly in our culture? And do you think COVID is going to kind of bring us back to community, or has something been broken by it? No, it's a great question, and there's really, I think, two sides to both of those. As an evangelical myself, a longtime evangelical Christian, I can, on my level, Brian, tell you two reasons I think we struggle with community. One is that we live in this existentialist Western culture that says it's all about me. Uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Look out for number one. You can do it if you'll just get up earlier and stay up later. Never let them see you sweat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of idea that if I'm just strong enough in my faith, if I just pray enough, if I'm just close enough to Jesus, I won't suffer from depression or I won't have anxiety. Anxiety, or I won't have social issues, which is so unbiblical. Right. You think about right. Elijah, you think about Paul and his times he was so down. Think about Martin Luther. Think about Charles Spurgeon, who suffered from what we think was probably clinical depression. So that's absolutely not true, but we think it. Then the other is we're afraid of counseling. We think it's all Freudian yeah. psychoanalysis. Right, right. We think that we have to stay away from that. God calls Christians into counseling, into psychology and psychiatry, and just like he calls people into missionary work and pastoring. But we have this bias against getting help because we think it's all 
secular and atheistic when mm-hmm. that's absolutely not necessarily true. Yeah. So if we'll step back from that and recognize I need help, I was made not to do this by myself, mm-hmm. a coal by itself goes out, the answer to my prayer is often other people. And if I'm open to that, I'm honest enough, I'm transparent and humble enough, God will use other people to answer mm-hmm. my prayer That's and true. move me into the community I need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. That's so encouraging. Okay, Jim, so you actually also shared another article that was some really good, encouraging news. A woman donated her kidney to, wait, I, I don't know if I have, a woman donates kidney to husband's ex-wife two days <laughs> after wedding. I'm just going to read the title. <laughs> Tell us that story. <laughs> I was amazed as well. And I had to get the title from the story, guys. I got as confused as everybody else did. So the hero of the story is Debbie Neal Strickland, who recently married her longtime sweetheart, Jim Murtha, at their Florida church. Two days later, she donated a kidney to Jim's first wife, Mylene. So Mylene and Jim had been divorced for nearly two decades. They got along well. They raised their two children. Mylene had suffered with kidney disease. By last year, she was really struggling, Mm. and Debbie had seen this. She had a brother, died of cystic fibrosis, waiting for a double lung transplant. So she knew the urgency of this. So she volunteered to be a donor for Mylene. She passed the initial match for blood, tissue, began complex testing, as the article said. And then after the months of all this, COVID-19 delays, the the transplant actually was set for two days after her wedding. They married on November 22nd. Two days later, she donated her kidney to Jim's first wife. And the real (laughs) cool part of the story isn't just that. It's the result of all of that. Mylene and Debbie now are calling each other kidney sisters. (laughs) They pray for each other. They're planning a big family trip this summer. Mylene says this is what the world is about, family. We need to stick together. She saved my life. And to me, that's just such a cool story of sacrificial love and grace. It absolutely is. If you want to read that story, go to the Denison Forum, D-E-N-I-S-O-N, denisonforum.org. Again, going through some of the stuff that you've written, you write so often and so prolifically. Back at the end of May, uh, about Phil Mickelson. And so I, I would love to talk to you. I love golf. And that story of Phil Mickelson when he won the PGA Championship was just so fun to watch, but also inspiring. Uh, what was your takeaway? A, how much did you enjoy that? But B, what's the takeaway? What could we learn from Phil Mickelson becoming the oldest major champion in history? It was awesome on steroids. It was fantastic <laughs> to watch. It absolutely was. I've been a huge Phil Mickelson fan over the years. I have some health issues, can't play golf like I used to, but mm. I used to think I could play golf, you know, a little bit. <laughs> I played military golf, left, right, left, right, you know, that sort of thing. But, but nonetheless, really love the game. I've got to tell you guys, when I became pastor in Atlanta back in 1994, uh, later that year, the former governor of Georgia, member of the church, asked me if I would like tickets to the Masters. Oh, wow. wow. So I thought fast and prayed for about two milliseconds <laughs> and accepted his kind offer. He got to go to the Masters three That's or four cool. years in a row. It's like going to church on a golf course. It was phenomenal just to see it out there and to see Mickelson play out there. Saw Tiger Woods win. It's just a phenomenal experience. But anyway, when you're around Phil Mickelson, you understand how unique he is. Really going back to Arnold Palmer in terms of his connections with the crowd, the degree to which he signs autographs, talks to fans between shots. He just is such a such a, such a neat guy, such a down-to-earth guy. Mm. When his wife went through cancer some years ago and he took time off the tour just to be with her, so he himself suffers from psoriatic arthritis, and so he's had some real issues. And wow. Anyway, he's just been a great guy to watch, a phenomenal 
phenomenal story. But when he won the PGA title, PGA Championship, at the age of 50, two years older than Julius Burroughs, who I think had been the previous oldest major title champion. For all of us that follow golf and follow, follow Phil Mickelson, it was a phenomenal story. I couldn't take my eyes off the thing. That's I just right. had to watch watch the commercials, the whole nine yards. I had to watch the whole deal. <laughs> That's so fun. That's great. Jim, I want to transition a little bit, if we can, to talk about your book, uh, Respectfully, I Disagree, How to Be a Civil Person in an Uncivil Time, which I just love the title of that. But uh, if I can ask you sort of a foundational question, how do you feel like we got here? We seem so divided, so divisive. What has happened to lead us to this moment? Boy, that's a profound question, Aubrey. It really is. And rather than the hours it would take to have that conversation, as you know, try to do that as briefly as possible. Back in the 60s, we as a culture developed what's called postmodernism, the mm-hmm. idea that truth is personal, mm-hmm. individual, and subjective. You interpret your senses through your mind, and the result is knowledge, and your senses are different from mine, your mind different from mine. We get this from Kant and a whole thing that's happened in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, 93% of Americans say they are their own sole determiner of moral truth today. So what you're left with is tolerance, because mm. there really can be no objective truth, no, no absolute truth. So you have your ideas, I have my ideas. And we have to tolerate each other. We tolerate everything except intolerance. <laughs> and that's where we are now. Now we're at a place where if I disagree with you, you're intolerant. Mm. If I disagree with you, your ideas are not just irrelevant, but they're even dangerous. Mm. We're at a place where you're seeing this on partisan divides, Mm -hmm. where you're seeing Republicans and Democrats that on a higher level than ever don't want their children even to date somebody from the other party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're at a place where people are choosing what neighborhoods, not just cities, but neighborhoods to live in based on the partisan demographics of that neighborhood. People are curating their social media, as we know, where they're only listening to news that agrees with them. Mm -hmm. And all of it goes back to this idea. There's no objective truth out there. There's Mm -hmm. my truth and your truth, and my truth is right and your truth is wrong. That's a foundational belief that really got us off course, and it's where we're living today. Yeah. And so, Jim, how would you – I think that's such an important topic, this idea of civility. Somebody could be listening going, hey, we got to match fire with fire, right? Like if culture is going to kind of – kind of hit hard against people of faith and call them intolerant and stuff. We've got to hit equally back uh, as opposed to, hey, we've got Jesus might have done this about a different way. How do you help people kind of process that and think about how to respond when maybe we are treated unfairly? And that is the case, and that will even be more the case, I think, in the future. Think about the Equality Act. You think about how Fair Housing Act is being used. Lots of things happening right now. I really think, guys, that we're facing cultural headwinds on a level we never have in American history. Mm. I honestly, unfortunately, believe that. I don't think that's in any way an overstatement, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm. We're at a place where biblical morality is now castigated as homophobic, bigoted, prejudiced. Uh, If you're for life, then you're on a war for women. If you're against euthanasia, then you're against uh, death with dignity. It's all the stuff that's happening in the culture. So one response, wrong response, is to withdraw, Mm. pull back, keep the salt in the salt shaker, keep light under the basket. That withdraws the cult from the culture when the culture needs us most. The other side is to be that culture warrior you're describing, where we fight fire with fire, which is not the spirit of Jesus. Mm. The middle position is Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Mm. We're going to speak biblical truth. First Peter calls us to be ready always to present a reason for the hope that we have, but do so with gentleness and respect. We're going to do this with humility as beggars helping beggars find bread. Mm. We're going to do this by speaking God's word in God's spirit. And the only way I know to do that personally is to ask the Holy Spirit to help me do it. 
I'm just as tempted as anybody else is to respond with fire with fire, to respond with antagonism, to be angry at those that are angry at me. So I've got to pull back and pray and say, Mm. Holy Spirit, manifest the fruit of the Spirit in my life, Mm. your love, joy, peace, and so forth. And if I'll pray for that, if I'll submit to that, the Spirit will manifest himself through me and on my good days. I'd love to tell you every day, but on my good days, I'm speaking the truth in love, and that, I think, is the way forward. Oh, such a good word for all of us, Jim. So timely. All right. Switching back to articles, uh, you posted another one about the Israeli government and ways to pray for Israel. That's something Brian and I have talked about as well on The Common Good. Can you give our listeners an idea of what's going on and then how we can join in praying for Israel? You bet. I love Israel. I've led probably 35 study tours to Israel over the years. Some of my best friends in the world live in Israel. Wow. It just is a very close place to me. If there were two of me, one of me would live in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> I even know where I would live, right above Tiberias and the Galilee. There's a little community up there I've got Aww. my eye on. Might do a sabbatic there at some point. Nice. So I awesome. love the Holy Land. and. Yeah, just no place I'd rather be. It's just an amazing place to be. But I've I've got to tell you, Israeli politics are different than what we're used to. They're governed by a Knesset. That's the name of their parliament, 120 seats. You have to get 61 seats to govern the Knesset, the parliament. No party's ever gotten 61 seats in 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 an election. So they then form coalitions with other parties that have gotten a number of seats to get to 61. And what's happened most recently is that a coalition that really has nothing in common except replacing Benjamin Netanyahu has gotten to 61. So now if they get approved by the Knesset in the next few days, they will become the governing coalition in the Knesset. Uh, Naftali Bennett would become the prime minister. And Benjamin Netanyahu would be out of office. He's been in office since 2009 longest ruling prime minister in Israeli history. He was in for three terms back in the 90s. So it's a big deal in Israel. First time in a very long time we've seen the possibility of a change in leadership and all that that could mean for the future. Yeah. And uh, Jim, as we close, how can we be praying? What's one or two things people are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. How would you encourage people to pray? First, pray for the protection of Israel, cessation of violence in the region. Not be surprising to see Iran and Israel's other enemies try to take advantage of this leadership transition. Mm. So out of Second Thessalonians, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. So pray for protection. Second, pray for the new leaders if they do take office, to build a better future for Israel and the Palestinians. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us, loves the Palestinians as much as the Jews. Pray for the new leaders toward that. And then third, pray for ways to build relationships with the Jewish people you know. Mm. God has given you the privilege of sharing with them the good news that their Messiah has come and that they can have eternal life in Jesus. Pray for opportunity to share that good news. That's such a good word. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jim Dennison is the co-founder of the Dennison Forum. Also the author of Respectfully, I Disagree, How to Be a Civil Person in an Uncivil Time. You can learn more about him at denisonforum.org. Jim, it is always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. My honor to be on with both of you. God bless. You You as well. And we're all glad that you joined us today on this Monday afternoon. Join us tomorrow from 4 until 6. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.